And I'd like to continue uh, this evening in talking about uh, groups of people. Um, but first, I, I do want to give you some balance. We talked yesterday about how the church should be accepting and uh, open-armed and welcoming. And, and that's all true, but there is a balance uh, to the Lord's Word. And I, fe- I fear and I've observed uh, that the Christian church in America today is kind of getting away from the balance. And they're accepting everything. And uh, I, I want to make it clear that God does not just want anything to go in his house. So if you go to the book of 1 Corinthians, I just want to bring out some scriptures to you before we, we go on to talk about the group of people called the Samaritans. Uh, and the Samaritans were half Jew and half Gentile, so they're in their own group. And, uh, but before we do that, I want to look at what Paul left us as far as things that may occur in the church and things that we really shouldn't put up with. And in 1 Corinthians chapter 5 and verse 9, Paul writes this, I wrote unto you an epistle not to company with fornicators, yet not altogether with the fornicators of this world, or with the covetous or extortioners, or with idolaters, for then must ye needs go out of the world. Do you, do you find the humor in that verse like I do? Paul says that, look, I don't want you to uh, accompany with these fornicators, but then he starts to talk, talk about fornicators and extortioners and idolaters of this world, and he's pretty much telling us here, if you're trying to avoid all that stuff out there in the world, you're going to have to die. Don't you find a lot of humor in that verse? I, and that's true, isn't it? If it, You meet people who want to go out and live the rest of their lives and build or live their lives under a rock and escape society just because they think the world has gotten so wicked. And the world has gotten wicked. But my friends, it's not our job to uh, run and hide. Our job is to shine our light and the light of Christ in this wicked world. And Paul says, look, you will get to avoid all the sin one day when you die. You won't have to be. Isn't that, that is good news too, though. That is part of the gospel, is it not? And in verse 11, he says, but now I have written unto you not to keep company if any man that is called a brother. You see the difference? If any man that is called a brother in Christ, you shouldn't keep company with this person if they be a fornicator or a covetous or an idolater or a railer or a drunkard or an extortioner with such and one know not to eat. So if there's someone in the church, and I'm not, I don't think this uh, verse is saying, well, if they do this sin once, you got to excommunicate them and never talk to them again. Do you think that, that that's what the scripture is teaching? That doesn't sound like my God. Of, of course, if they fall into sin, they should be given an opportunity to repent, right? And come back into the Lord's house and to worship. What Paul is talking about here is someone who wants to live this way day in and day out. And you know what? Why would you want to be in the Lord's house if you're living this way anyway? Do you ever think about that? If you're going out into the world and you're getting drunk every single night, including Saturday, and you're stumbling in here Sunday morning hungover, do you think you're really going to be fulfilled by the service of the Lord? You're not. You're going to be out of place. And Paul also writes this so others don't get infected by it. 
Earlier, he says that a little leaven leaveneth the whole lump. And if God's churches start to just accept immorality, it's going to ruin the whole church. So there is a point where we have to tell folks that, no, if you're going to behave this way, you can't be a part of the kingdom here. You can't be a part of it. Now, if you want to repent and come back, that's a different story. But there's also a balance here as we continue to read in chapter 6 and verse 9. Paul writes this about the church. He says, Know ye not that the unrighteousness shall not inherit the kingdom of God? This is talking about the church. This is not talking about eternity. Be not deceived, neither fornicators, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor effeminate, nor abusers of themselves with mankind, nor thieves, nor covetous, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor extortioners shall inherit the kingdom of God. And boy, I've heard some preachers preach that pretty hard, and they just stop there. And they condemn sin, and sin should be condemned. And they condemn people, but they don't, they don't start that next verse. Look at the next verse. What does it say? It says, and such were some of you. You see that? And he's talking to a church. And you know what this Paul's trying to get across here? Is that we as Christians, as members of the church, are in no place to uh, elevate ourselves, to be self-righteous, to see someone who's living in sin, and to say, no, you're not welcome to come here at all. That's not what we're supposed to be doing. If you see someone, my friends, that are, is living an ungodly lifestyle, and maybe you meet them out there in the world, and maybe you get a feeling and a sense, maybe you've seen them do some good works, you've seen some fruits of this spirit in their life, we are to encourage these people to come to the Lord's house and to be healed, to turn from your wicked ways, and to come in and worship and get that closeness with God that all of God's children deep down uh, have a desire for. So we see both in chapter 5 and chapter 6 here that there is a balance within the Lord's house. And God frowns on certain activity. And God frowned upon for a long time the group of people that we're about to talk about, the Samaritans. Remember, they were half Jews, they were half Gentiles. And what I found funny about our message uh, last night when we looked at the Gentiles, that we were able to go through some of the Old Testament and see these positive verses towards a people that were looked at as outcast by the Jews, but you see some good things written about the Gentiles in the Old Testament. But as I began to study of the Samaritans, and I, I, I've read probably a hundred verses of, of uh, the Samaritans being referenced in the Old Testament. And you know what? I couldn't find anything positive on them. Unless I missed something, I couldn't find a positive verse. I found verses like this. Just let me read you a few. Isaiah 10 and 10 and 11 says, And as my hand hath found the kingdoms of the idols, whose graven images did not excel them of Jerusalem and of Samaria... Shall I not, as I have done unto Samaria and to her idols, so do to Jerusalem and her idols? And we see here also that Jerusalem, the Jews, had the same problem as the Gentiles and the Samaritans of worshiping idols, of worshiping someone that they shouldn't have been worshiping at all. And here we see a very negative verse 
uh, written towards the people of Samaria. And I tell you what, we today as modern Christians need to take heed to this verse as well. Because I'm sure to one degree or another, we all have a certain idol in our life. And an idol does not have to be a golden calf that people dance around. You know, that's not just, that, that, that is an idol. In the Old Testament, we see that was idol worship. But an idol is simply something that we place in front of God. And my friends, we need not to do that. God should always be our number one priority. And it saddens me when I see uh, God's children and church folk place things above the Lord and above the service of the Lord. And if we would all just make God a priority, uh, his name would be glorified and the churches would grow. And we need to do that, my friends. And, and, I, and I tell you, I, I, I wish every child of God, every church member would just open up their calendar. Open up your calendar for the whole year and go to every single Sunday and mark booked. Mark it booked. Why? Because you're going to church. And then after church, you're going to have lunch with God's people. And then maybe after that, you're going to spend time with your godly family and grow closer together. And when something comes up, because it will, somebody, somewhere, a boss, an employer, a friend, a girl, a lady, they're going to try to do what to you? Get you to not come to church on Sunday. And listen, when that happens, you just got to take out your calendar and say, look, this day is booked. Sorry. And unfortunately, Christians have that the other way around. And let me tell you something. I'm sick and tired of it. Oh, and then they come and they complain about the churches and what it should be. And the spirit's not there. Blah, 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 blah. Well, were you there every Sunday last month? Goodness, no. Oh, well, isn't that funny? Can't we all just get our calendars out and mark it down that this time is booked? Because let me tell you, my friends, if you do that, because I have, the Lord will bless you. I've walked away from jobs. I've walked away from opportunity. And the Lord has blessed me every single time that I've done it. The Lord will bless your faithfulness. And I believe that's a guarantee that's written in God's word. He'll bless you. So let's take those idols and get them out of our lives. Let's get them out. Here's another one. Jeremiah 23, 13 says, And I have seen folly in the prophets of Samaria. They had false prophets, prophets prophesizing untruth. They prophesied in Baal, which is a false god, and caused my people Israel to err. And don't we see that out in the world today? We've got so many false prophets, false teachers, false philosophers, and you know what they're doing? They're causing God's children to err. And that's why we need to be in the Lord's house. That's why we need to be in the Lord's word. That's why we need to be going to him in prayer constantly because the wicked one is out there, my friends, and he's trying to destroy you because he doesn't like what we're doing this evening. He doesn't like it. He doesn't like it. So he's going to try to get you, you see. And that's what was happening here with, with these prophets of Samaria. And the, the last one I'll read is Hosea 13, 16. It says, Samaria shall become desolate, for she hath rebelled against her God. They shall fall by the sword. Their infants, infants shall be dashed in pieces, and their woman with child shall be ripped up. And that's a vulgar and a gross verse 
in the Bible, but that's how bad these people were. And God said, look, a judgment day is coming upon Samaria, and they're going to be destroyed, their women are going to be killed, their infants are going to be slaughtered, and that's exactly what happened in 722 B.C. when Assyria destroyed Samaria. That's exactly what happened. The prophecy came true. So we don't see anything good written about uh, the Samaritans. We don't see that. And I think the reason for that we will find in Revelation Revelation chapter 3. One of the letters to the churches. Revelation chapter 3 and verse 13. Revelation 3 and 13 to the church at Laodicea. Christ says this, He that hath an ear, let him hear what the Spirit saith unto the churches. And unto the angel of the church of the Laodiceans write, These things saith the Amen, the faithful and true witness, the beginning of the creation of God, I know thy works. Are you all listening here? I know thy works, that thou art neither cold nor hot. I would thou wert cold or hot. Isn't that amazing? Did you, did you see what Christ just says here? He said, I'd rather you be ice cold when it comes to the service of God than to be lukewarm. Or be hot. Be hot for the Lord. Be on fire for the Lord. But what he's saying here is make a choice. So then because thou art lukewarm and neither cold nor hot, I will spew thee out of my mouth. What do you think of that verse? Christ says, I'll spew you out of my mouth if you're lukewarm. God does not like lukewarm Christians. God does not like Christians that are on the fence. So we need to either get on one side or the other. Because being on a fence is not too comfortable, is it? If I were to sit right here, it wouldn't be too comfortable. It's kind of like a fence. I was watching Levi sit on Brother Dolph's fence uh, this afternoon. And you know what? He didn't stay there too long. You know why? Because it's not comfortable. That's the same thing with your walk with Christ. It's not comfortable being right down the middle. It's not. If you want to go in here and try, go outside and try to live a, a, a worldly lifestyle and a partially uh, Christian lifestyle, it's, just, it's not going to work. It's not going to work. Either be cold or be hot. In verse 17 he says, Because thou sayest I am rich and increased with goods and have need of nothing... And knowest not that thou art wretched, and miserable, and poor, and blind, and naked. And you know what I call that verse right there? That's your typical American verse. I'm sure you can relate to this, and I know a lot of folks in the community in, in Winter Garden, Florida, and you know what? They're doing just fine. They got enough money. They're decent people. They'll help their neighbors. Their kids are okay, they go to work, they provide, and they think they're doing okay. But my friends, without the Lord, we are nothing but wretched and miserable and poor and blind and naked. We all need to get on a side of the fence. Choose, choose this day who you will serve. Choose and commit and my friends, don't turn back. Don't turn back. 
If you come this evening and you decide to join this church, let me promise you something. You will not regret it. I have never regretted a day since I've been baptized. Not one single day of joining the church. And you know what? We went through some hard times in Winter Garden. We've been through church trouble. We've been through a a, a church split or two. We've been through divorce in the church. We've been through the ringer. We've been through hard times. And even with all of that being done, even with all of that being said, I still don't regret one single day being in the Lord's house. Because hard times will come and we need to stick it out because we need to be on one side of the fence or the other. If you're in the middle part of the fence and hard times come, which way do you think you're going to turn? You'll be out. Do you care about this place? Do you care about your service to the Lord? Then be fired up for him. Be fired up for the Lord. As Brother Glenn Blanchard would say, if a Christian's on fire, people will come to watch him burn. They'll come to watch him burn. Be on fire. Let people come and watch you burn into the Lord's house. Bring them to hear the the truth preached right here. Okay, so even with that being said, and these these Samaritans were terrible. Uh, They were in the middle. They were lukewarm. They were half Jew. They were half Gentile. They kind of worshipped God sometimes, and then they kind of didn't. And we see that the Lord was not satisfied with that. But let me tell you this. A better day was coming for the Samaritans. A better day was coming. And we'll see this start in Luke chapter 10. If you want to turn with me over there, Luke chapter 10. And we got some troublemakers here. <clears throat> They're always trying to trip up Christ. You know, they never get them. You ever notice that? They always try to trip them up. They always tried to make them look foolish, and they never did. Well, that's what happens when you try to mess with God. You will not win. You will not outsmart. Okay, and behold, a certain lawyer stood up and tempted him, saying, Master, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? Isn't that a silly question? Because you and I know that there is nothing you can do to inherit eternal life. You know, there's nothing you can do to uh, gain an inheritance. An inheritance typically is given to you based on what? Relationship. And yesterday we talked about us having a surname, a last name, Christ is given to us, and we are going to receive that inheritance in glory, not based on what we do, but based on who we're related to. We have an inheritance because the testator died, which was Christ. And he's left us something that is far better than anything this world has to offer. So this is just a silly question. He says, what should, we're starting on sand. Starting on sand. What shall I do to inherit eternal life? He said unto him, uh, what is written in the law? How readest thou? Ooh, question with a question. And he answering said, thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart and with all thy soul and with all thy strength and with all thy mind. And thy neighbor as thyself. Oh, he's versed in scripture. Look at that. And he said unto him, Thou hast answered right. This do, and thou shalt live. Oh, don't you love the simple answers from Christ right here? I think he's setting them up a little bit. But uh, he, willing to justify himself. Oh, he wanted to justify himself. He's convicted here. Said unto Jesus, And who is my neighbor? Oh, can you sense the smugness of this guy? And who is thy? Let's see you answer that one, Christ. Who is thy neighbor? And Jesus answering said, he tells him a parable, 
A parable is a story meant to, meant to teach a lesson. He says, a certain man went down from Jerusalem to Jericho and fell among thieves, which stripped him of his raiment and wounded him and departed, leaving him half dead. And by chance there came down a certain priest that way, and when he saw him, passed by on the other side. Oh, a priest. Well, they're supposed to be good people, right? Preachers, godly men, they're supposed to, they're supposed to help people out. Not this man. He saw him, he went by the other. Likewise, a Levi, he did the same thing. When he was at the place, came and looked on him and passed on the other side. So we have uh, two people uh, uh, in religious authority that should be righteous and holy and pure, and they come upon this opportunity to help somebody, and what do they do? They pass him right on by. Isn't that something? But, but, a certain Samaritan? What? A certain Samaritan, as he journeyed, came where he was, and when he saw him, he had compassion on him. The Samaritan here is acting better than the religious leaders. Isn't that something? The Samaritan. And went to help him and bound up his wounds, pouring in oil and wine, and set him on his own beast, and brought him to an inn, and took care of him. And on the morrow, when he departed, he took out two pence, and gave them to the host, he's paying for his room, and said unto him, Take care of him, and whatsoever thou spendest more, when I come again, I will repay thee. Oh, this Samaritan's a pretty good guy. Well, how did that happen? How did that happen if they were, they were on the fence, if they were lukewarm? Because this Samaritan, it seems, in this story, God has written his law, on his heart and in his mind. Isn't that something? As just as we talked about the Gentiles last night. Which of these three, Jesus now, he asked the question, which of these three thinkest thou was neighbor unto him that fell among the thieves? Well, which one is this person's neighbor who, who had something terrible, terrible done to him? And he said, the man had said, and he, he that showeth, showed mercy on him and then said Jesus unto him, Go and do thou likewise. He who showed mercy on the man that was beaten up and in a terrible position is now declared to be this person's neighbor. It wasn't the person with the title. It wasn't the person with the expectation. It was with the person that would actually step out into an uncomfortable situation and help. And I tell you what, my friends, this is also for us. Because if we're not careful, we could be just like the priest and we could be just like the Levite who saw someone that needed help and just passed on the other side. May we not be like that. May we, when we see someone who is in need, help them. And I know, I know there's scammers out there. Aren't there scammers out there? And they want to take advantage of us. I'm aware of that. And you just have to do your best. Because let me tell you, when I see someone, say on the side of the road, a homeless person... And I've done this and I've given them money. Once I give, an, give them that money, it's on them to do what's right with it. But I have done my part. I have done the right thing. Now on the same token, and this is a true story, I gave this woman 10 bucks. And then the next day I saw her at the Shell gas station and she was buying a pack of cigarettes. You know what? I never gave that woman any money ever again. You know, because I'm not going to fund your bad habit. So we need to have some sense about us, right? We had a, a woman come into Winter Garden, and she was, she was homeless. And she was living out of her car, and she was passing by. And uh, she came to worship. And she, got it, she put her dress on, and she came, and she, she worshiped the Lord with us. And you know what? I had great respect for her. 
for, for doing that, of stepping out of her comfort zone. And uh, myself and, and Brother Bill McSwain, who is one of our deacons, we met with her in the office, and, and we gave her a couple hundred bucks, you know, and we said, God bless you, and, and we hope you come back, and you're always welcome here to come worship. You know what? We never saw her again, and that's okay. That's okay. She showed respect to the Lord. She came to worship. Hopefully, she used that money in, a, in the way that the Lord wanted her, and I hope that she's back on her feet today. And maybe that's just the part you need to play with a stranger out there who's in need. But what we don't need to be doing is neglecting them, being self-righteous and saying, I'm just not going to help you at all, and I'm going to pass by on the other side of the street. Because those that pass by on the other side of the street here were frowned upon. And the Samaritan, the half-Jew, the half-Gentile, the person that no one would expect to help, helped and found favor with the Lord. A better day was coming for the Samaritans. We see it in this parable. We're going to see it in Luke chapter 17, if you want to turn there next. Luke chapter 17, verse 11. Now, this is not a parable. It seems this actually happened. And it came to pass, as he, Jesus, went to Jerusalem, that he passed through the midst of... Samaria and Galilee. And he entered into a certain village. There met him ten men that were lepers, which stood afar off. See, they were afar off. They were uh, quite a, a bit of a distance away from Christ. And they lifted up their voices and said, Jesus, Master, have mercy on us. Can you get the picture? Hey, when you're reading the Bible, try to just imagine that you're there. And here's Jesus, he's standing there, and here's ten lepers, it's a terrible disease, they're scarred up, they're scab, uh, you know, they've, they've been excommunicated, because if you were a leper in those days, you were sent to a camp, isolated from the rest of society, and here they are, they're isolated, and they see Jesus, and they're yelling to him, and when uh, he saw them, he said unto them, go, show yourselves unto the priest. You know what that indicates? That Jesus Christ, from being afar off, healed those lepers from their disease from a distance by just speaking it to them. And you know what he told them? He said, go and show thyself to the priest because that was in the Old Testament law. After a leper was cleansed, there were certain things they had to do. And one of them was to go and show themselves to the priest. Jesus says, go and do that. Uphold the law. Go ahead and do it. And it came to pass that as they went, they were cleansed. And one of them, when he saw that he was healed, he saw that he was healed. This leper, this diseased man, he saw that he was healed. He, he turned back and with a loud voice glorified God and fell down on his face at his feet, giving him thanks. And he was a Samaritan. Isn't that something? These Samaritans, these, these, this outcast was the only one of those lepers who came back to return thanks. And I tell you what, my friends, there's a lesson in that for us today. Because the Lord has healed us of many things, has he not? Just think about your life and how he's blessed you financially. And he's blessed you emotionally. And he's blessed you spiritually. And our job to, uh, is to come back to the Lord's house to return thanks to him. 
You know, how often do we hear Christians say, when they stop coming to church, they'll say this, well, I just don't get anything out of it anymore. You know, that's not why you should be coming to church. You should be coming to church to give back and to return thanks to the Lord. And if you're thinking about your own situation this evening, and if you, you just can't think of anything the Lord has blessed you with, I'll tell you one miracle that he has performed in your life. He's taken you from being dead in trespasses and sins, dead spiritually, and he has given you spiritual life. He has resurrected you spiritually. And I tell you what, if he doesn't bless you in any other way the rest of your life, that one fact, that miracle that he's performed in our lives is worth it to come back to the Lord's house and to return things. But we see here, only one came back. And he is a Samaritan. And Jesus answering said, were not there ten, ten cleansed? Isn't that a funny question? I find so much humor in the Bible. Jesus says, were not there ten, ten cleansed? But where are the nine? Where are they? There are not found that return to give glory to God, save this stranger. There's that word again, stranger. Only the stranger came to give back glory. And he said unto him, Arise, go thy way. Thy faith hath made thee whole. Being cured of leprosy was not what made that man whole. His faith is what made him whole. His acknowledgement and his knowledge of knowing where the blessing came from and what Jesus Christ had just worked in his life and the faith that he had in him is what made him whole. Always remember that. It's not, an, it's not always about your circumstance, okay? It's not always about that. It's about your faith and your willingness to come back and to praise the Lord for what he's done for you. The only one that returned was a Samaritan. Very interesting. Let's go to one more spot tonight. Let's go to John chapter 4. John chapter 4. <clears throat> this is the story of the woman at the well. And it's one of my favorites. One of my favorites. I'm excited to go here. Let's uh, start in chapter 4 and verse 1. When therefore the Lord knew how the Pharisees had heard that Jesus made and baptized more disciples than John, though Jesus himself baptized not but his disciples, he left Judea and departed again into Galilee. And he must needs go through Samaria. See, sometimes the little verses in the Bible are so very important. See, Jesus knew exactly what he was doing. Jesus knew exactly where he was going. And my friends, I want you to know that God does not do random. He doesn't do random. Jesus had a point. Jesus knew he, where he was going to meet this lady here at the well. And when Jesus went to heal, he knew what he was doing. When Jesus encountered the blind man, he knew where he was going and who he was going to see. He knew exactly what was going to happen. He knew exactly what he was doing when he went to the cross. He knew exactly who he died for on the cross. There was no confusion. You know why? Because Jesus does not do random. It says here that he must needs go through Samaria. 
Then cometh he to a city in Samaria, which is called Sychar, near the parcel of ground that Jacob gave to his son Joseph. Now Jacob's well was there. Jesus, therefore, being wearied with his journey, sat thus on the well as it was about the sixth hour. It was about noon. And we see something very interesting here, that Jesus was tired. You know, Jesus got tired at points. Jesus got tired. Jesus got hungry. Jesus got thirsty. And you know what this shows us? This shows us the humanity of Jesus Christ. Because Jesus Christ, my friends, was all man and he was all God at the same time. Isn't that amazing? That, that just baffles me to just, just think about that, that that was the case. He was all man and he was all God. And he was in all points tempted like you and I are. And therefore, since Jesus was tempted in the same way we were, even though he never thought about committing a sin, I just want to put that out there. He never even thought about it, and he never committed one, that's for sure. He never thought about committing a sin, and he never committed a, committed a sin. However, he was tempted in all points like as we are. Why? Because he was all human. He was all human, and he was all God at the same time. And why is that so important? One, for what he did for us on the cross. That made his righteous life now an acceptable sacrifice for him to sacrifice himself to God. You know what that also means for us? That we could go to Jesus with every single burden and with every single care that we have. Because you know what? Let me tell you something. He understands you. He understands me. He understands what you're going through. He understands your problems and your cares and your worries and your concerns and your ailments. He understands how you feel because he himself was all man and all God. Okay, so he's tired. It's, uh, it's about noontime. He sits down by a well. There cometh a woman of Samaria to draw water. In verse 7, Jesus saith unto her, give me to drink. Now, I want you to understand how... Uh, uncommon this is for a woman at noontime to be at the well drawing water. See, it was typical that the woman would rise up early, you see, and beat the heat and get to the well to draw water and get back before it got too hot. This woman is at the well during noontime because she's ashamed of her living. She's ashamed at the way she's been behaving. And she was ashamed to be around the other woman. And here she is. She's coming to the well to draw water by herself. She thinks no one else is going to be there. And there's Jesus Christ. There's the Savior. Isn't this something? There cometh a woman of Samaria to draw water. Jesus saith unto her, give me to drink. For his disciples were gone away uh, unto the city to buy meat. The disciples were gone. It's just Jesus and her. Then saith the woman of Samaria unto him, How is it that thou, being a Jew, asketh drink of me, which am a woman of Samaria? See, the people of Samaria were, were looked down upon. For the Jews have no dealings with the Samaritans. And here is Jesus, a Jewish carpenter, talking to a Samaritan alone at the well. Jesus answered and said unto her, if thou knewest the gift of God, and who is it that saith to thee, Give me to drink? Thou wouldest have asked of him, and we, he would have given thee living water. Well, what does he mean by that? Is Jesus talking about the water that's in that well? I don't think so. 
I don't think so. I think there's a deeper meaning here. The woman saith unto him, Sir, thou hast nothing to draw with. <laughs> How are you, Jesus? How are you going to get the water from that well? You have nothing to draw with, and the well is deep. From whence then hast thou that living water? Art thou greater than our father Jacob, which gave us the well, and drank thereof himself, and his children, and his cattle? Jesus answered and said unto her, Whosoever drinketh of this water shall thirst again. Amen? Isn't that right? Have you ever had a drink of water? I have a drink of water. I will take a sip. I will not expect that that one sip of water will hydrate me the rest of the day, correct? So is Jesus really talking about water here? He says, but whosoever drinketh of the water that I shall give him shall never thirst, but the water that I shall give him shall be in him a well of water springing up into everlasting life. So you know what Jesus is doing here? He's teaching a spiritual lesson to buffoons like us. He's saying one thing that you all should be able to understand is eating and drinking. He said something very similar in John 6.35 where he said, I am the bread of life. He that cometh unto me shall never hunger, and he that believeth on me shall never thirst. I think what he's saying here, in, in other words, is in order for you and I to be eternal, Jesus has to be internal. In order for us to be eternal, Jesus has to be internal. He has to be inside us. And that's what he's talking about here. He's talking about his spirit. He's talking about himself dwelling within his children. And when that happens... When, when you realize that and you embrace that you've been born again of the Spirit of the Lord, that is the only thing that will truly satisfy you. That, will, that is the only thing that will give you contentment, is being aware that, that Jesus Christ dwells within us, and I need to start following him because that's where my joy lies. And can you uh, relate to that? Do you still, even though some of you have have been in the church for years, and you've been faithful to the cause of God, sometimes you still go astray, and it feels good for a little while, but then when you get back on track, you say, well, this is where the real joy is. This is where the satisfaction is. This is where now I can rejoice. And that's what he's saying to this woman. He's speaking of his spirit. He's not really speaking of water. He's not speaking of water. Just like he wasn't speaking of actual bread in John chapter 6. And there, boy, there are people out there who take John chapter 6 and think that when he talks about the bread that he's talking about communion. Oh, come on, folks. That's not what he's talking about. It's not what he's talking about. He's simply talking about himself being inside of us. The woman saith unto him, Sir, give me this water that I thirst not, neither come hither to draw. She still doesn't get it, does she? You know, she, she wanted to get, get rid of her duties. It was hard getting to that well. She had to walk all the way out of town. She had to bring a bucket. She had to drop the bucket. She had to fill that bucket up and pull it out of the well and put it back on her shoulder. And now it's heavier because there's water in it. And now she's got to walk all the way back to town. Boy, that must have wore her out every day she had to do that, right? She said, give me this water because I don't want to thirst anymore because I'm tired of doing this job. She doesn't get what he's talking about. Not yet, not yet. Jesus saith unto her, go call thy husband. And come hither. 
Well, that's an interesting retort. Isn't that something? He says, go, go call thy husband and come hither. Jesus recognizes with this woman that she just doesn't get it. And he's going to take another avenue. You know, that's what you and I have to do when we're telling people about Jesus Christ. Don't waste your time too long talking to people who just don't seem to get it. If, if you see yourself wasting your time, try a different avenue. Try a different avenue. And if you try a couple of different avenues and it still doesn't work, Jesus also said don't cast your pearls before swine. Sometimes it's time to pack up and go home. And that's okay too. So that's what Jesus here is doing. He's, he's, he's going to take another avenue with this woman. The woman answered and said, I have no husband. Jesus said unto her, Thou hast well said, I have no husband, for thou hast had five husbands, and he whom thou hast is not thy husband, in that saidest thou truly. Do you now see why she was ashamed? Do you now see why she wouldn't go with the other woman to that well in the morning to get water? Because she had had five husbands and she was living with a man that she was not married to and she was ashamed of it. And here she is talking to Christ. Isn't that amazing? The woman saith unto him, Sir, I perceive that thou art a prophet. Our fathers worship in this mountain. I want you all to listen to verse 20. Our fathers worship in this mountain, and ye say that in Jerusalem is the place where men ought to worship. Do you not hear this all the time in modern Christianity? We worship at the Primitive Baptist. Oh, that's okay. You could come and worship with us over here. There's really no difference because we all worship the same God. There's no difference. Can't we all just get along and hold hands? And let me tell you something. I'm not an, an, an enemy of any other church. They need to do what they do. Go ahead and keep doing it. But I do want to warn the people that are sitting in, in this building tonight that there is a difference in where you worship. It, it matters. Jesus is, is going to tell us that in a second here. This woman said unto Jesus, you worship over here, we worship over there. What, what does it matter? Let's, let's, see Jesus's, let's see if Jesus cares. Let's see if Jesus thinks it matters. Jesus said unto her, Woman, believe me, the hour cometh when uh, ye shall neither in this mountain nor yet at Jerusalem worship the Father. Ye worship, ye know not what. And unfortunately, that's the case today. You got folks flooding into churches that don't even, they claim to be Christian churches. They claim to be Christian churches, and they won't even crack open the Bible and read from it. And you know what? We've got God's children going into Christian churches, and they are worshiping someone that they have no clue about. And they're naming the name of Christ, and they have no idea about him. They have no knowledge of him. And that's what's going on. He said, ye worship, ye know not what. We know what we worship, for salvation is of the Jews. But the hour cometh, and now is. You know, that hour is still here. And now is when the true worshipers shall worship the Father in spirit and in truth. There is a difference between true worshipers and untrue worshipers. He says, the hour is cometh, and now is. For the Father seeketh such to worship him. God is a spirit, and they that worship him must, must 
Worship him in spirit and in truth. It's the duty of the child of God who is hungering and thirsting for, for, for the truth to actually go out and to find where it is. And it's our job to worship in spirit and in truth. Why? Because we have been given a high honor to uphold it. Here it says that the Lord seeketh those. Seeketh those. Oh, may we never take what's going on right here for granted. The very fact that you're here to worship the Lord this evening in spirit and in truth tells me that the Lord has sought you out. He has chosen you. He has drawn you out. And he has sent you to this place to worship him in spirit and in truth. Isn't that awesome? Oh, that's fantastic. To me, that's something that will hold me and keep me coming back because it's a high honor, my friends. It's a high honor that he has chosen us and he has revealed to us the truth that's in this book. Don't take it for granted. Read it. Enjoy it. Come out and to worship and to, and to hear it. He says, God is a spirit and they that worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth. And how often are God's children out there today compromising? They're compromising. And they're being led away to, to churches who are bribing them with the things of this world. And that's what's going on. Boy, I saw one church had, they were doing laser tag in the sanctuary. Brother Dolph, what do you think about that, brother? Maybe we should, maybe we should start, um, oh, come on, give me a break. Laser tag? I was, t- I was telling uh, this morning at breakfast, we were talking, oh, first hundred people that come to this youth meeting gets a free coffee. What? And then afterwards, we got taco trucks. Taco trucks are coming. Come and get something to eat. And they're charging. It's not free. And they're making the Lord's house into a den of thieves. And but this is they're not they're not idiots. These people that are forming these churches, they're not stupid. They know how to appeal to the flesh, you see, and they appeal to the flesh to get you to come into their church so they could have big crowds and lots of money. And all it is is another entertainment show. Young, young people in this bill. I hope you don't fall for it. I hope you don't fall for it. I hope you remain here. I hope you all come. Keep keep coming and worshiping. Hearing the truth that's written in this book. It's more important than any taco that a truck has to offer. That's pretty good. Any taco a truck has to offer. This is better than tacos, right? This is better. So the woman saith unto him, I know that the Messiah cometh, which is called Christ. See, see, she knew a little bit. She knew a little, a little bit about God's word. When he has come, he will tell us all things. She's been waiting. Jesus saith unto her, I that speak unto thee am he. Amen. Isn't that something? Here's this woman who is living with a man she's not married to. She had been married five other times. She's a disgrace. She's an outcast. And Jesus Christ reveals to her that he is the Son of God. Oh, a better day was coming for the Samaritans. And it came with Jesus Christ. And upon this came, came his disciples. Oh, this is good. His disciples are coming back. They're coming back. And marveled that he talked with the woman. Yet no man spake, what seekest thou, or why talkest thou with her? Oh, he marveled. See, we mentioned yesterday the disciples of, of Christ can just be terrible sometimes. And... They come to this and they're being awfully judgmental, aren't they? And they're saying, how can God be speaking to this woman? They're thinking it. The woman, oh, this is great. The woman then left her water pot and went her way into the city 
and saith to the men, Come see a man which told me all things that ever I did. Is not this the Christ? Isn't that something that this woman who had come there to draw water, she had a purpose. She knew what she was doing there, and she completely left that behind. And let me tell you something, when God truly has an impact on your life, when he truly touches you and you find the truth, let me tell you something, it's time to leave some things behind. And that's exactly what this woman did. She left her purpose behind to go tell people about Jesus Christ. And you and I, my friends, need to do the same thing. And sometimes God is going to call you to give up things that you really love sometimes. Sometimes God will call you to give up friends. Sometimes God will call on you to give up your career. Sometimes God will call on you to give up your family members. Oh, yes. He might even call on you to turn your back on family. And you know what? It's worth it to follow Jesus Christ. This woman was touched. She was touched so deeply that she dropped her water pot and she went into town to tell people that she had seen the Christ. Then they went out of the city and came to him. Isn't this a glorious sight? Don't you ever think that uh, how awesome it would be if that would happen here? If someone went and they were so convicted about Jesus Christ and who he is that they went into downtown Roanoke and started telling everybody about Jesus Christ and the people emptied out of the city to come and hear some preaching. Oh, I keep waiting for it to happen at Winter Garden. I'm telling you, I'm waiting. I'm waiting for an evangelist like this Samaritan. I'm waiting for one to come to Winter Garden. Maybe I could become one myself. How about that? Maybe I need to do better. Maybe I need to invite more people. Maybe I need to uh, tell more people about what Jesus has done for me and say, come and see. Come and see. That's what she simply does. Come and see. And the town empties out. In the meanwhile, his disciples in verse 31 prayed him saying, Master, eat. Eat. Remember, Jesus is weary. He's been on a long journey. He's tired and he's hungry and they've gone to town. They've gotten him something to eat. They said, Master, eat. But he saith unto them, I have meat to eat that ye know not of. Isn't that something? I have meat to eat that ye know not of. And these disciples, well, they're just as foolish as this woman at the well. They're, they're just as foolish. They're just as worldly thinking as she was at the beginning of, of the conversation. Therefore said his disciples one to another, Hath any brought this man? I mean, hath, hath any brought him aught to eat? They said, Who gave this man something to eat? Who gave Jesus something to eat? Where is he? Where did he get something to eat? Who gave him something to eat? We were supposed to be the ones giving him something to eat. Who gave Jesus something to eat? Who? Jesus saith unto them, My meat is to do the will of him that sent me and to finish his work. Praise the Lord. See, Jesus had something better. Jesus had something better than the, uh, the, uh, the, the fulfillments and the satisfactions and the comforts of this world. Jesus says plainly, I have meat to eat that ye know not of. And it's to do the will of the Father. And my friends, you will be just as satisfied as Christ was if you do the same thing in your life. If you put the things and the comforts and the satisfactions of this world on the back burner. Put them on the far back burner too. Put them back there. And put Jesus Christ in those will for you in, in, in your life. And put that as your, your priority Oh, you'll be satisfied. You, you can rejoice in that. And you won't be thinking about that kind of thing. I tell you, I was looking at the lunch line 
Brother Dolph and I went last. I was like, Brother, I was wondering if we were going to get any food. And this, this verse came to my mind. I said, even if I didn't get anything, I have meat to eat. I have something else to do. I have the will. The will of the Father is in my I'm going to preach any. I'll preach on an empty stomach, brother. Preach on an empty stomach. It can be done. It can be done. And that's Jesus here. He's saying that, that I have meat to eat that ye know not of. My, my, my meat is to, to do the will of him that sent me and to finish his work. Say not ye, there are four months, and then come and ha come, cometh harvest. Behold, I say unto you, lift up your eyes. Lift up your eyes. So, why? Because the people are coming. Hey, the people are coming out of town. People are coming out of town. And look on the fields, for there are white, all ready to harvest. You know, you don't have to go out there and make children of God. Aren't you glad about that? Brother, aren't you glad that you don't have to preach people to make them children of God? You know, God has already been in his children's lives. He does the born again. You don't have to. These people, they had heard. They've been convicted. They were moved by the Spirit. And here they are, and they're coming. And he says, look, look, look on the fields, for they are white already to harvest. And he that reapeth receiveth wages and gathereth fruit unto life eternal, that both he that soweth and that reapeth may rejoice together. And herein is that saying true, one soweth and another reapeth. See, you need to be sowing too. You need to be sowing the Lord's word. You know what? You may tell someone about Jesus Christ. You may tell a hundred people about Jesus Christ and this church, and they may never come here. But later down the road, they might go somewhere else. You know, oftentimes we get visitors in Winter Garden or we'll get people that stay for a brief period of time. And it's always sad when they leave. But you know what? Maybe, maybe we're watering. Maybe we're just watering and someone else is going to reap that benefit. Never doubt how the Lord is using you. Never doubt it. Every conversation about the Lord is important. Okay? And another reapeth, I sent you to reap on that where uh, ye bestowed no labor. Other men labored, and ye are entered into their labors. And many of the Samaritans of the city believed on him for the saying of the woman, which testified, he told me all that I ever did. See, this woman went out, and she told what Jesus had said to her. And these people in the town believed, and they came out, and they, they, wanted, it, they wanted to see Christ. So when the Samaritans were come unto him, they besought him that he would tarry with them, and he abode there two days. He abode there two days. Jesus loves his people so much, doesn't he? These Samaritans in this town of Samaria, God's people, were there. A better day was coming for the Samaritans, and it came with Christ. And here's Jesus. He has come. The town has emptied out. They have come out of the town to hear him preach, and he stayed there, and he preached to them for two days. And many more believed because of his own word, in verse 41. And said unto the woman, Now we believe, not because of thy saying, for we have heard him ourselves, and know that this is indeed the Christ, the Savior of the world. So how did they get there in the first place? They got there, they came to Christ because of the testimony of someone else. So we need to be going out there and telling other people about Christ. And hopefully when they come and they feel the warm spirit here, when they hear the good singing, when they hear the heartfelt prayers uh, that, are, that are being lifted up to the, to, to the Lord in heaven, and when they hear the preaching of the truth, they'll say, now, now I'm going to stay. 
Now I'm going to come here and I'm going to join. I'm going to be baptized. And if you believe that, if you believe and you've been coming here and you've, you've heard the, tree, the truth preached, and you're convicted that, that this is a place where indeed people are worshiping in spirit and in truth, then the next step is to join. The next step is to join the church and to be baptized. Because Ephesians 4, 5 says there is one Lord. Do you, all, do you all agree with me on that? Do you agree with me that there's one Lord? Be careful now because I do this all the time at Winter Garden. I start asking questions because I'm going to get you in a pickle. You believe that there's one Lord. Amen. So do I. I believe there's one Lord. One faith. Do you believe there's one faith? The only faith there is is in Jesus Christ. Amen. So there is no faith in Buddha. There is no faith in Muhammad or Ali or whatever you, you know, whatever other false god. You want Muhammad? Did I just say Muhammad Ali? That's a boxer. You shouldn't place your faith in him either. He's, he's dead and gone too. Put, put your faith in false gods. So there's, you would agree that, that with me then there's only one faith? Amen? You know what the next part of, it, of that is? One baptism. Would you, would you agree with me there? There's only one baptism. So what that verse really means is there's one true God, there's one true faith, and there's one true baptism. And if you believe that the true God is worshipped here under the true faith and you hear the truth from God's word and you are worshipping in spirit and in truth, you need to come and partake in the true baptism and join this church. Amen? Amen. Come on, the members here should be saying amen, let's go. And I don't know who, I, don't, I really don't know who's a member in this room. You know, I don't. But if you believe that, you need to get baptized under the one true baptism. And unfortunately, like everything else in this world, man has messed it all up. From infant baptism to sprinkling, to being baptized under something false that says, you know, baptism is, is a means of salvation. That you need to get baptized in order to, 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 go to, to go to glory. You know that's not true. And if you were baptized under something like that, you weren't baptized under the true baptism. And I always like to put it this way. You know what? I've been baptized as a Catholic. I was sprinkled. I was sprinkled as a baby. And I don't, I don't rail on that minister. I don't, you know, I don't think poorly upon him. What I tell people is, hey, that man thought he was sending, sending me up to glory. And a lot of people have done a lot worse to me in my life. This man's not bad, you know. Here he is. He's got me over here. He's sending me to glory with a couple sprinkles. And that was fine. Even sitting under the teachings of the Catholic Church was fine. And I, I heard the name of Christ and I saw, I saw, you know, I saw, I remember seeing my, my mom on her knees praying and, and, and crying. You know, the Lord, the Lord, and that's fine. But the thing is, is when you find something better, you join it. You get rebaptized, And when I found the Primitive Baptist Church, when the Lord led me to the truth and I was aware and convicted and knew I wanted to spend the rest of my life worshiping in spirit and in truth, you know what I did? I got rebaptized, And it's not that big of a deal. You just do it. And you know what? Like I said earlier, it's the best move I ever made. It's the best move I ever made. And I haven't regretted it a single day. And I rejoice that the Lord has brought me to the truth. That, that the Lord has brought me into to his church. I would even go, to, go as far to say there's one true church. There's one true church. 
And I think we have it. Do you all think we have it? Do you think this is the true church? Because let me tell you, if I didn't, I wouldn't be here. And if you don't believe that this is the true church, I don't. why are you still here? Why are you still here? Go do something else. Go find, some, go find the true church. Go find it. I believe that this is the true church of Jesus Christ. And when I was convicted of that, I was baptized. It was important to Jesus. He walked 40 miles. Or was it 70? Is it 70 or 40? Oh, come on, brother. You're supposed to help me out. I think it was 70. He, he walked 70 miles to get baptized by the right person, who is John the Baptist. John the Baptist made, made a comment, Behold, here cometh, uh, here cometh the, the Lamb of God who taketh away the sins of the world. He knew what Jesus was here to, to do, and he knew that he was going to accomplish it. He believed in salvation by grace, John the Baptist. I guarantee it. And if you're being baptized, you want to get baptized by someone else who believes in salvation by grace. Jesus thought it was important. He walked 70 miles to get baptized by the right man who believed the truth, and he did it to be baptized the right way, full immersion, which represents the death and the burial and the resurrection of Jesus Christ.